And you may be seated. Good to see all of you. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, as we're going to be this morning. And while you're finding Luke chapter 2, really curious, has have any of you ever actually met or know a real shepherd? I just want to, anybody actually know a real shepherd? Okay, I thought maybe I'd have a kid or two. Really interesting. Okay. Everybody knows about shepherds. No one knows them. I mean, how do you even know they exist, right? Everybody knows about shepherds, but no one seems to know one. Well, it's really interesting. Uh, Shepherds have always lived in the margins of society. They've always been people that have always been excluded. If If you know rejection, if you've ever been rejected in your life, and all of us have at some point, remember just like, well, the pain of just feeling alienated from everybody else? That's what it looked like to live a shepherd's life. You were always on the outside looking in. And yet, 2,000 years ago, God saw fit that shepherds take center stage on the most important event in all of human history. These common shepherds were to become common no more. And how does the shepherd's response on that first Christmas really affect our lives Today, Why did God have shepherds have such a critical role that first Christmas? I mean, these are the guys that were on the bottom rung of society. Why are they given so much press in the scriptures? Well, let me have you take a look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and just kind of give you the setting. Now, I know that this is familiar for a lot of you, but let me give you the backdrop of all that is taking place here. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So here we have a situation where we're introduced to Caesar Augustus. Now you didn't know a little bit about this man. This Caesar, uh, it was in January 16th, 27 BC, the Roman Senate conferred upon him the title Augustus or the August one. This spoke, spoke of one who is holy, exalted. It was a term used in reference to their gods. And yet the Roman Senate felt compelled that they would have this Caesar become Caesar Augustus, the God one. And Caesar thought, hey, this suits me quite well. I think he got it right. And he gladly accepted the title because he thought it was his rightful honor. And really, Caesar Augustus, the most important man in the empire by far, really there's a lot that happened under his reign. He kind of ushered in what is known as the Golden Age of Rome. He was the one that actually expanded the the empire to include all of the Mediterranean region. He is the one who, with uh, architecture and literature, they experienced this golden age. It lasted for about 250 years. Uh, He introduced the imperial form of government. And he was also the one that established Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But let me help you understand the peace that Caesar Augustus introduced. It was a peace like a a Stalin-like, Hitler-like peace. It was a peace that came from chains and whips, crosses, and just raw intimidation. You didn't ever speak unkindly about the Roman emperor or even Rome itself. You were always looking over your shoulder, whether you're a man or woman, boy or girl. 
So powerful was Caesar Augustus that all he had to do was speak, and it would happen. And so we see that that's exactly what takes place. There is a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. Isn't that powerful? Now, let's help you understand census. The Roman Empire took a census for two major reasons. One, for taxation purposes. They wanted to know how much revenue they could expect from all of the conquered territories and the people, and so they took, on different occasions, a census. The other reason for a census was for the compulsory military service of all the young men. They wanted to know where they were at and find them, identify them, and then get them incorporated in their legions and their armies. Now, the so extensive was the census that it would go to the very farthest easternmost part of the Roman Empire. This land of Israel, the land of the Jews. Now, the Jews uh, were actually uh, had an exemption from military service in the Roman Empire. So the census that is being referenced here would be a census to count the people and to gather revenue, to find out what taxation was going to yield. And so you see that people had to respond. And so they do. Look at verses 3 and 4. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now, how this worked is when you conducted a census, you had to go to your city of origin. And that is what you find. And so people, if they had already they relocated and moved, they had to go to their city of origin where their family came from. And so all throughout the empire, people are moving, going back to their cities of origin or their villages. And so you see in verse 4 that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So powerful was Caesar's grasp of the empire that in a small village of Nazareth, he could compel a young man who is betrothed or engaged to his bride, though she be pregnant and at nine months, compel them that they had to go back to their family origin, city of family origin. And so that's why they're making their way back to Bethlehem. Now, For Joseph and Mary, it's been nine months of a whirlwind, angelic uh, announcement that Mary, though she be a virgin, legally bound to marry Joseph, is going to carry a child, not just any child. It is the one who is to be the Savior. In fact, an angel even tells Joseph that you shall name the child Jesus, Emmanuel, the one who is going to save his people from their sins. So this couple, already kind of in a state of awe and wonder now, is going to be isolated from everything they know. Mary is no longer by her mother or any of the people that could take care of her. To understand where Nazareth is up in the north, you you have Bethlehem. That's about an 85-mile distance. A lot of it is mountains if you cut through Samaria. Now, remember, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, which means that Joseph and Mary, having to go back to Bethlehem, if they were going to take the most direct route, which would make sense if your wife is about nine months pregnant, would mean that they go through hostile territory and face all sorts of rejection. And uh, if we always assume that, like, Mary, you know, had this donkey. In fact, it's pictured there. But you know what? There's no record of that. It is possible she walked every step of the way. If 
somebody who was generous or Joseph had enough resources to actually afford a donkey. I'm sure he would have. And one way or the other, every jolt and every cliff and every mountain to be climbed, every descent, they made the journey. And once they arrived in Bethlehem, then her pains began. Uh, I want you to understand that engaged um, is very different than our modern day engagement. It was actually a legal contract. And so she is legally bound to Joseph. And they make their way. And then notice what takes place once they arrive. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We read the text, and none of you seem rather surprised or startled, but think of it. Everybody gathering in Bethlehem is family, right? You're all related. These are all extended relatives. It is very apparent that Mary is pregnant. You're going to start seeing the pains when she's got the birth pains. Joseph, I mean, we're first-time fathers. We're generally a nervous wreck, right? He is desperately trying to find a place for his wife to give birth. They're going to family. Maybe they don't know the people, but they're all related. That's why they're there. And no one lets them in. When it says there's no room for the inn, sometimes we get the picture of an inn as kind of like these quaint little bed and breakfast, you know, places. You know, you have these nice people and they're giving you snacks and telling you cute stories. And they feed you this awesome breakfast. It's all really cool. A little overpriced. That's not what the inn was like. The inns in Bethlehem and in Israel at this time... They were equivalent of like a series of covered stalls that opened up to a big yard where you kept your animals. The innkeeper, all they were responsible to provide for is two things. Fodder for your animals and fuel for your fire. You had to get your own food. You know, if you think you're roughing it when you're like at Holiday Inn Express, I mean, you don't know anything about how primitive it was. And yet... I want you to see from the text, even in these remote inns, these cattle stalls, there's no room for a pregnant Mary about to give birth or a frantic Joseph. Simply looking, and at some point, I mean, desperation takes over. You have to leave the very town that you came from, came to, and you're looking for a place and All, whether it was just some sort of remote stable or perhaps it was a cave just kind of in the middle of nowhere. But when the baby's coming, I mean, it all stops no matter where you're at, whether you're in a taxi or you're out in the field or you're in a cave or you're in some sort of remote stable and the baby is born. And notice this. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Please. You want to remove from your mind that this was kind of some sort of quaint little stable. Everything's all neat and tidy. No, um, you need to smell the manure. You need to smell of birth taking place and blood, screams, cries, and pain. There's loneliness. There's no one here to help. You got Joseph. I mean, come on. I mean, carpenters are very talented, but what do you do when a baby's coming? And all of a sudden, this baby is born. And notice that she wraps him in cloths. Uh, this is a sign of affection and compassion. See, what they would do is they would wrap the claws around infants to keep their limbs straight. 
And this is how they demonstrated that the mother really loved and cared for the child. And that's what's taking place here. It wasn't they just kind of like wrapped, threw some clothes on him. No, she wrapped him to express affection and love for this child. And it's so radically startling. The Jews were known for their hospitality. It's one of the things they really valued. And yet, no one seemed to value them or this child. Now, there were others that were outside Bethlehem on that night of all nights. Notice in verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Let me give you a little background on shepherds. So these shepherds are outside of Bethlehem, the city of David. Bethlehem is about six miles away from Jerusalem up to the north. These shepherds would be watching over sheep, caring for them, guarding them, protecting them, taking care of them, because these sheep were going to be used in the sacrifices that take place in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the sheep that were used and these lambs had to have no defect, no cuts, no bruises, no wounds. They had to be perfect. The sacrifices had to be perfect, and it was the shepherd's job to take care of them. It was a 24-7, year-round occupation, feeding these sheep and and having them prepared for the sacrifices that were to take place. Now, shepherds, you need to understand, they were good at protecting sheep, caring for them, bringing healing, feeding them, but they really had very little to do with mainstream society. Some of the shepherds were considered dangerous. All of them were considered the fringe of society. And yet, the shepherds had a hero. They had a hero in a guy by the name of David, a shepherd, who one day became king, who wrote many of the psalms that the people of Israel sang. And so you understand what it looked like in the pecking order. You know, at the very... When you get to the very bottom of the ladder, in the number two position from the bottom, you have shepherds. Anybody know what number one is the least? Lepers. Lepers, shepherds. Lepers, shepherds. At the extreme bottom. They were considered dishonest, unreliable, unsavory characters. Uh, Eventually, uh, they were not even allowed to give testimony in courts. So despised were these shepherds. And of course... You know, if all you're doing is hanging out with sheep and you're caring for them, tending them, picking them up, putting them over your shoulders, you know, you eventually start smelling like sheep. And so there was even a scent identified with these shepherds, not a scent that was attracted to. You're not going to have any shepherd smelling candles, right? Yankee candle hasn't gone that far. No, these were those who had to stay on the outside. There was, of course, the there was the law that God had given. But then they had the Mishnah, you know, all the traditions of the elders. There were so many extra biblical man-made rules. There was absolutely no way a shepherd could follow any of them. They rarely could even bathe, not to mention having ritual washings. And so they were considered just completely unclean and defiled. They were, in short, unacceptable. And yet, here they are, and they have a critical role in the life of Israel. They're armed with staves, slingshots. They have like these little flute-like instruments that they play to pass the time and kind of keep the sheep calm. And they would wear their warmest of robes because it can get some pretty bitter cold in Israel. 
And so they're keeping watch. They're protecting the sheep from any sort of like animal that would like to kind of have like a little midnight snack or any robbers that would like to take them over. And so that's their job. And then suddenly it was as if a star just burst. Brilliance, light. All of a sudden some chosen angel is go- starts to make this announcement. You got to think that what happens is when you are startled, you kick into that fight or flight, right? Some of you are like, I got to run away. But many of you, man, you're to stand up and fight. If you are a shepherd, running isn't an option. So they'd be startled, but they'd be like picking up their staff. They'd get their slingshot ready because something's on the horizon. They don't know what it is, but they're going to fight it off. And yet it's the sky is brilliant. And so no wonder this angel has to say, do not be afraid. One of the great understatements in the Bible. I'm sure they were totally terrified. Like, what is this? And so then this announcement that is made. The angel said to him, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people for today. In the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ, the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Do not be afraid. This good news for, for all the people. I mean, all, like everybody, not, not just Jews, but for all the people. And there's this announcement in verse 11 that there's been born the Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, many Jews were looking for the Savior. They were looking for Messiah. They had Old Testament prophecies that gave specific detail of what Messiah would be like, even where Messiah would be born. Remember um, the prophet Micah? In Micah 5.2, he announces 700 years prior to this event that the Eternal One, is going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so they're trying to take this all in. Um, Many Jews, though, wanted a savior who was a military savior, a political savior. They hated Rome, and they hated the yoke that Rome had around their necks, and they wanted a liberator, someone that would rally the people and kill off Rome and back them off. And yet, when the announcement is made, there is a savior who is Christ. Uh, In In Hebrew, it would be Messiah, Christ Messiah. Does anybody know what it means? It means the anointed one. This is the announcement that all the Old Testament prophecies regarding Messiah, they're saying he has been born. The Messiah, the Christ, he is the Lord. He is the absolute one who is deity. And so they're hearing this announcement And they even are told, listen, you're going to find, you're going to do this. You're going to go and you're going to find a baby. And that baby is going to be wrapped in cloths and is going to be lying in a manger. Okay. Don't be thinking you're going to find a baby where you normally think you'd find. Look for feeding troughs. I'm going to narrow it down. There's, there's going to be no babies that are ever placed in feeding troughs, but this one is, and that's how you'll know you're at the right spot. And then suddenly Verse 13, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Suddenly there is this host uh, that speaks uh, a military encampment, like an army. 
a multitude of angels making this proclamation, glory to God in the highest. Now, a word about angels. I really think that Hallmark has done us a dear, uh, a misservice. If you uh, think that angels are like overweight little children that have like wing attachments and some cute little gold instruments that they're kind of carrying around with them, that's not the angels of the Bible. That may be the angels at the Hallmark store, but that's not the angels of the Bible. So powerful, so compelling were angels. Remember in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, when an angel appears, John feels compelled to worship. He is in such awe. Remember, he's like, don't do that. I servant. And so these angels, I got to tell you, these shepherds were completely overwhelmed. This, they just didn't even know what to do with themselves. And hearing about this one who would bring peace. You see that? They're just singing it, proclaiming it. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. They were familiar with Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Now they were hearing the proclamation of God's peace. Peace for your soul, for your heart. Peace with God. This one's going to provide what you and I need most. Peace with God. Peace in your relationships. A deep-seated peace. A divine peace. A peace that only a Savior could bring. And so the shepherds, they received God's message of announcing the Savior. Well, I want you to see in verses 15 and 16 that they resolved to act upon what they knew. Look at this. Verse 15. When the angels had gone away, it's almost like you like, Everything was bright and brilliant and light everywhere around. All of a sudden, that all just fades. All of a sudden, back to darkness. The angels had gone away from them into heaven. And the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Like, the least likely. We, we have got to go and see this. And so, verse 16, they came in a hurry. They didn't kind of stroll along, whistling, playing their little flutes. No, they're hightailing it. They are running as fast as they can. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. It wasn't that they could, like, uh, have the GPS coordinates, you know, kind of put it in. They're like, oh, we'll be there in no time. No, they went to Bethlehem. So here come the shepherds. It's night. And they are, I mean, they seen all these angels they've heard this divine proclamation they think that certainly everyone in bethlehem is going to be talking about and celebrating the birth of the savior because if the angels announced the shepherds most certainly they announced to everybody else which was who were far more important than they are and so they show up in bethlehem and like where's the baby where the angels and we remember how the angels are talking about the baby and proclaimed where's the baby and they get to bethlehem and their people are like what are you talking what is wrong with you Angel, what? Baby, you said this is the Messiah? <laughs> hey, get over here. This guy thinks the Messiah has been born and they're looking for the baby supposed to be in some manger? You guys, come on, get out of here. What? You're out of your mind. You not only smell bad, but you got some pretty wild tales. I tell you what, you've been out in the cold too long and hanging out with the sheep far too many days. Would you just please kindly get out of here? That's an amusing story. But I can assure you there's no baby that's been born when... That's the Messiah here. Now, there's got to be a few folks that actually kind of shoot away this pregnant couple that have got to be thinking like, huh, I kind of remember something like that, you know. When you think about it, in Bethlehem, everybody's gathered for the census. This is, 
Bethlehem is maxed out. I would imagine this was an occasion for celebration, though it was a tax. They were being counted to be taxed, but you're seeing relatives that you normally don't see. And now these shepherds are arriving and saying, where is he who has been born the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord? No one has a clue. I'm sure the shepherds were highly perplexed, but they're not going to give up like, oh, I guess we, we must have must have been an illusion. No, they knew what they saw and what they heard. And so they're literally running around. You can see them they're, I'm sure they're getting laughed at, scorned at, mocked. But you know what? You're a shepherd. You're familiar with rejection. It's kind of a way of life. I mean, maybe people even threw rocks at them. We don't know. But they're not giving up until they find that baby. They got all the clues they need. And so not finding the baby in Bethlehem, they start looking at the outskirts. And eventually, sure enough, they find a man, a young man, and probably a younger woman, and a baby. A baby that is wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Smell, the stench, maybe there's animals gathered around. A frightened couple, a a young gal who has just given birth, and this baby sitting, lying there right in the manger. How could it be? How could it be that no one seems to know about this and yet we were told? And, you know, what would happen normally is if you had a little bit of money, you would hire some musicians. And uh, when the baby is born, uh, like the son's been born, they'd tell the musicians and strike up the band and they'd play some music, right, in celebration. Well, obviously, Joseph didn't have any resources. He couldn't even get any a room for his wife to be. So because Joseph and Mary didn't have any money, God provided the angels. And so they see this baby. And verse 17, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. So they reported God's message. They like, you're not going to believe this. Let me tell you why we're all here. There was an angel that came. They made this announcement that said that we're going to find the Savior is Christ, the Lord. And then like, like more angels than we could ever count. They all start seeing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. They directed us. They told us we we're going to find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. No one lays a baby in a manger. And yet everything that was announced to us by these angels, the Lord made known to us. It's right here. And we're telling you all about it. And I'm sure for Joseph and Mary, this merely fueled the fire for they too had had angels come. And announced to them, remember very early on, Mary was told that you are going to carry the child. Joseph was said, listen, Mary's pregnant. She's a virgin, but you're not going to divorce her because God is bringing the Messiah. In fact, I'm going to tell you, you will name that child, this boy, Jesus. Yahweh saves. Emmanuel, God with us. And at one point, they had to ask the name. Uh, what, what is the name of this child? And when Joseph and Mary said Jesus, you know what that name means. Yahweh saves. I'm sure they had to take a couple of steps back. Because that's exactly what the angel said. There has been born one who is the Lord of the Christ. 
He is the one who is the Savior. Well, I want you to see what takes place here. They had never been so near to God, those shepherds, as they were on that night. I mean, think of it. These shepherds that had taken care of all the lambs that were sacrificed at the temple, they're now beholding the Lamb of God who would once for all be the sacrifice for sins. The one who would be sacrificed, pierced through for our transgressions, and take away the sin of the world by taking God's just wrath against sin and rising again to give spiritual life to all who believe, they are beholding the promised one. And so they take this all in. I'm sure they were like highly perplexed. We're, we're here. Where are the religious leaders? Where are the Pharisees? Where are the scribes? Where, why are they not here? I mean, they know the scriptures a lot better than us. They know the city. They know... Why are they not here? But they just wonder. They are telling Mary and Joseph all that is taking place. And I want you to see that they go back just rejoicing in their relationship with God. Look at this, verses 19 and 20. But Mary, she treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I mean, what true worship. You take the deep truths and the realities treasuring all these promises being fulfilled. How could this all be? And she's pondering them in her heart. And notice the shepherds. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. I mean, think of it. The shepherds show up first time through Bethlehem. They're kind of like, where's the baby? Everybody kind of mocks them. There's no baby here, blah, 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 blah. They come back saying, listen, we found the baby. Just like the angel told us, we told you it's going to be laying in a manger. We've, we've seen the baby. He's wrapped in cloths. He is outside in Bethlehem. Now, for some people, I'm sure they were like, oh, that's really interesting. And many people would be skeptical because, after all, these are shepherds. And, I mean, who can trust a shepherd, right? So they were dismissed. And yet, think of it. The Jews, known for their hospitality, all of these people are family. That's why they're gathered in Bethlehem. There is no recorded instance of anyone leaving Bethlehem and going and finding that child. I mean, think of it. If you heard that there was a woman who had just given birth out in some barn not too far from you, don't you think that you would go there just out of, like, just general kindness of your heart? Not to mention that they were saying, well, this is the Messiah, and yet no one goes. And so they go back. These shepherds go back and they are glorifying and praising God. There may be a skeptical world that says you're full of nonsense. And, <laughs> you know, that's a bunch of junk. That, that didn't really happen. But they know what they've seen and what they've heard. And they are rejoicing in the relationship that God has given them. They have seen and they're believing the Savior. And I want you to know that you, you and I are going to go back as well. In just a few minutes, you're going to go back to your home, your job, your school. And the question I would like to ask is, how are you going back? For some of you, um, this whole idea of Jesus coming as a baby, do you understand it's Christmas and it's all kind of part of it? It's nice, but it's really not necessary. (laughs) I mean, after all, I mean, you know, it's not, 
that's not really that important. After there's far more important details in Christmas than Jesus and this baby being born. That's that's kind of peripheral stuff. It's nice for you. And for some of you, you know, you go to church and, you know, like, yeah, those things, you know, that's that's nice. But you're not going to let it affect your life. I, I want you to know you're either been inoculated because you've exposed to Christianity and you know enough of the facts, but you've never truly come to believe or you have a, a true faith in Christ. It's just super immature, but it's one of the two. But for some folks, you know, it's going to be nice, but not necessary. Some of you are going to go back and you know what? You're like, absolutely not. I'm not going to believe in no Jesus and a savior and glory to God in the highest. And no, I tell you what, religion, it's for the weak. Christianity, for those who are hopeless, I want you to know I've got it figured out. And I don't need a savior. I want you to know that every person, whether you're a believer or not, you and I live by faith. And if you are a rejecter of Christ, I want you to know you've got tremendous faith. But your faith is only good as the object in which it is placed. You might want to think really carefully, what am I or who am I placing my faith in? Some folks, you're going to go back like the shepherds. Rejoicing, filled with awe, telling people. If you're, remember he said in verse 18, and all who heard it wondered? Some folks are going to go, wow, what happened about you? Let me tell you about Jesus, what he's done in my life. And others that will hear this are going to dismiss you. Some are going to be rather perplexed. Some are going to be like, tell me more because my life is really screwed up too. And I need who you have. And so I just want to ask, how will you go back? You know, I want you to know that God is still in the business of getting people's attention. Maybe you've sensed it. There have been events. There is some sort of compulsion in your heart that I need help. I need leadership. I need forgiveness. And I need life. That's what God, why God has you here. He wants you to trust in Jesus, who is the Savior God has been in the process of changing lives, millions of lives, and he does so by getting your attention. But the question is, how will you go back? I think it's been so interesting. When the announcement is made that there is for you been born a savior, I'm sure they understood it was for all the people like they've been told, but specifically for the shepherds themselves, for you. You personally has been born a savior. Think of it. The shepherds needed the shepherd and God provided. They needed someone to care for them and to guard them and protect them for all the loneliness and all the ostracization they experienced, the pain of rejection, their own sin, which would have been very much in front of their face. I mean, that's why they were like known sinners. They're one step above lepers. You need a savior. And when they said today there's been born for you, I think that was the best news they'd ever heard. And that's what I want you to understand. Today, there has been born for you a savior. Your response to the savior really reveals the condition of your soul. So what is your response? Are you going to, when you leave today, are you going with rejoicing and reflecting Or will you go rejecting? But God's announcement 
to those shepherds on that very first Christmas is still being declared today. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for an amazing record given to us in Scripture of how lowly shepherds on the outside, nondescript shepherds, Receive the greatest proclamation that has ever been given to our earth. That there is a Savior who's been born who is Christ the Lord. It's the reason for the celebration. And if there's anyone here who's never trusted in Jesus, would they just pray with me now and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin. And I know rejection. This morning I'm believing in Jesus and trusting in him. I'm going to walk out those doors rejoicing and reflecting. Lord, make that a reality, we pray. And for all of us who do believe, would you fill us once again with the awe of the Savior, the glories of the angelic announcement, and the wonders that the most important person, the God-man ever to come to the earth, born in a stable, humility, absolute, and yet deity. And help us, Lord, to be filled with awe, And to follow Jesus with joy, we pray in Christ's name.